Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn and welcome to the Roker Report podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen where we build up to our next League One fixture of the season following last weekend's win over AFC Wimbledon as we take on Wickham Wanderers at Stadium of Light on Saturday. So to bring us up to speed with all the latest at Adams Park, we're very pleased to have the company of Phil Catchpole from BBC Three Counties Radio and Ringing the Blues podcast. Hello Phil. Good afternoon Chris or good evening whenever this is going out, I don't know, but yeah, lovely to see you again. <laughs> Yeah, how are you keeping? Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, we're you know back in League One, but you know we're we're all very happy down here in Bucks. Good stuff. Well, we'll we'll come on to that uh, return into League One in a bit. But yeah, a bit about you, Phil, just to to, to kick us off. Um, and I said mentioned earlier, obviously you commentate on on Wigan Wanderers on the BBC Three Counties Radio, um, and you do the podcast as well. But but is commentating on Wickham a job, or has it always been your club? Um, well, weirdly, I mean, I've been going to Wickham since they're in the Isthmian League in the late eighties. Um, because that's where I grew up and it was a local team. Um, and then about, I don't know, probably about yeah seven, eight years ago, I fell into commentating on them for a local community station and then moved up to the BBC local station a couple of years after that. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like a, it's a job, but it never feels like a job, you know, even when they're losing on a Tuesday night and you're miles away from home. Um, yeah, I'm very lucky, very privileged to be able to cover the Mighty Blues. Yeah, that's brilliant. Well, it goes back to the late eighties. I remember, I remember on the old um, going back. I'm going probably back about thirty years, but on the old Premier Manager, I used to always. It was a Premier Manager or something like. That. I always always start off at Wickham in in the non-league because you had to start off as non-league, and I used to always start off as Wickham. So, got uh, got some good memories of uh, of Wickham Wanderers from back then. But uh, I mean, just quickly on the commentary side of things, we we speak to to Nick Barnes uh, every now and again, um, who covers games for for BBC Radio Newcastle, and and he mentioned that it was kind of difficult to commentate in empty grounds last season, and he was kind of, you know, really pleased that, like everyone else, the fans were allowed back in. I mean, did you have similar kind of feelings about commentating in empty grounds last season? Was it a bit odd? Yeah, it was weird. I mean, I love Barnsley. He's one of my favourite... Um, I mean, every every BBC, every club has got a BBC reporter and commentator. And um, Barnes is one of my absolute favourites in the Football League. He's a, he's a great character, a lovely guy. And I love his notes. They're wonderful. Um, yeah. But yeah... <laughs> his book's brilliant. Um, it was really strange because the fans were the soundtrack to the commentaries. Um, I mean, a lot of people were watching the, the images as well on iFollow last season um, so they could see what was going on. But 
from a radio point of view, the fans, they made the atmosphere. They were the heartbeat, the soul of the commentary because it kind of gave all the colour to what you were describing. And it basically made us have to do a lot more work because we had to make it sound exciting, um, describe everything and add the atmosphere. Um, the first two or three games were really interesting because you could hear the benches and you could hear what the referees and the players were saying to each other. But once the novelty of that wore off, um, I really miss fans massively because it, it filled in the gaps. You know, sometimes you could, something could happen and you could let it breathe for a bit, for a few seconds and, and let the fans take over because the noise of the fans would tell everyone what was going on anyway because people could hear it. But um, yeah, I missed it massively. And, you know, not just on the commentaries as well. When you get to the game, you see the same people in the same places, getting their teas, their pies, whatever, in the same queues and the programmes and... And it was that ritual of match day that was really, it's integral to all of us, isn't it? We all have it. We all know the people who sit near us or that we see on the way to the games. And because that wasn't there, it just didn't feel quite real to me. Um, massively privileged to have got to all the games, especially Wickham heading to Wembley as well. Um, so I'm not going to complain about it, but um, I did find it strange. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we'll come on to that that Wembley trip. But, uh, but first, I mean, I want to kind of, um, you know, kind of, wanted to discuss the last couple of years at Wigan because uh, I mean to put it mildly it's been a, a bit of a roller coaster um I wanted to kind of start with the the takeover of the club by uh, the American businessman uh, Rob Coig um I think I've pronounced that right have I pronounced that right yes yeah, spot on yeah, spot on it was a there you go, stabbing the dart there. I mean, he did that just before the pandemic hit in February uh, 2020 when he took it over from the Wickham Wanderers Trust, which is essentially a supporters trust. Uh, he bought uh, a 75% stake, uh, which was ratified by 95% of the members voting for it the October before that. But the supporters trust had ran the club since, since 2012. So, you know, from the outside looking in, it must have been a huge leap of faith for the trust to, to move ahead with that sort of deal. Absolutely massive, because um, the reason Wickham were in such a perilous state financially because they had someone putting money in, a, a majority owner. Um, he wanted to build a new stadium. He had a great vision for the town and, and Wasps Rugby Club and Wickham Wanderers, and it involved Wickham basically losing their home and becoming tenants in, a, in what would have been a massive stadium on the outskirts of town and um, basically to play second fiddle to a rugby team. And, and the fans made their thoughts known about that. And once that wasn't going to happen, the guy that was putting the money in um, wasn't interested anymore and and uh, and stopped funding it and created the problems. I mean, to, in all fairness to him, Steve Hayes, he then sort of saw the transition into that, the ownership of the club back to the fans and, and made a donation to the, to the supporters trust as well. But um, fans were really stung by that. And it meant that if anyone was to come in, they put into the constitution that they would need to have this vote. Um, which made it an incredibly high hurdle for anybody to come in and buy the club. Uh, you know, even if it was someone from the other side of the world, like the Kuhigs from New Orleans. Um, but they did it the right way. They came in. I, I kind of like likened it to a bit like getting married. You know, you kind of go out for dinner, you go for drinks, you get to know each other, you meet the family. Um, and then if everything's all right, you know, someone pops a question and, and someone says yes. Um, and that's pretty much what happened. And I mean, the Kuhigs. Um, are great because they come over and um, they don't, they're not like um, they're not interested in the boardroom or the politics or the you know wearing a tie and sort of sitting in the in the in the director's box and waving at people. They're in the terrace. They're in the bar. They're in you know they're in the queue for the tea bar. They're chatting to the fans, and the Wickham fans really responded to that, which is why they got ninety five percent of the vote. 
um, and, and came through. Um, and also they've got, you know, they're not, um, they're not massive, you know, they're not massively rich in terms of what we talk about in football senses here. They're not throwing billions of pounds at Wickham Wanderers to try and get them in the Premier League. What they saw was a distressed um, business um, running the hot tap, unable to pay their bills, unable to really sustainably compete in the Football League. Uh, they saw potential there that if they could put a bit of money into kind of invest in the facilities and, and whatever, they could make a huge difference and and build it as a community club and a community asset. And And they said they want to get their money back and they want to make it a business and they've not been shy about that. Um, but they're not doing it unsustainably. They're not sort of going out and spending millions of pounds on a striker and hoping it's going to kick them into the championship and beyond. This is a sustainable long-term um, business plan and I think that's why Wickham fans love them so much so far I mean obviously if we lose seven in a row and we're bottom of the table in February then you know they'll be calling for their heads no doubt but that hasn't happened yet yeah yeah and I mean one of the reasons I asked ask, as a Sunderland fan you know we've we've had our fingers burnt with an American owner um, in the past so you know for me it kind of you know, to have that leap of faith, especially when you're run by the fans, um, is a is a huge call. Um, but I read that the, the club were around two million pounds in debt at the time of the takeover. I mean, did that have a a big part to play in in the members' vote at that time? Absolutely, because the money that Wickham were making as a club on match days was essentially servicing that debt. Um, and and because Wickham are a small club, you know, we've historically non-league. Um, you know, so banks weren't able to give them any credit whatsoever. Um, so they, they basically were living hand to mouth. Um, so they couldn't invest in any infrastructure. They couldn't um, get into the facilities and, and build income streams to be able to become um, a bigger club. Um, and by removing that debt, it just took the pressure off. And we've started a, um, um, an academy system developing players again for the first time since 2013 um we've been able to like invest in the stadium a bit and and sell cold beer and and hopefully decent food uh in a, in a timely manner so people can spend money at adam's part because there was horror stories of fans who would turn up to games who would want to spend money they would want to buy merchandise they'd want to buy beer and and burgers and pies and they just couldn't do it because the facilities were so bad and the staffing levels were bad and they didn't have the people to run the club properly and it was heartbreaking because it just needed someone to come in and just say, look, here's a bit of cash to sort yourself out. Let's make this sustainable. And, you know, in football terms, £2 million, it's a bit like saying, you know, can you lend me a couple of quid so I can buy a beer in football terms? Um, so that's kind of where it was at for Wickham. And it's nice that we're sustainable again. And it's lovely that we aren't throwing millions around and thinking, isn't this great? And then two years down the line, it could all fall apart. It seems like it's a sustainable path. I hope I'm proved right in that. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, and looking back, I mean, obviously in hindsight, which is a wonderful thing, but uh, looking at the timing, you know, February 2020, when it became official, um, you know, in terms of what followed with the pandemic, um, it put the club in a really good position. I mean, obviously nobody knew what was going to come, but there were a lot of clubs on the brink financially and uh, Wickham had just gone through that process and then that the new owners had to deal with that. Yeah, it's crazy, really. I mean, because of the vote system, the Kuhigs were around a long time before the pandemic, but they were kind of giving the club loans, you know, in the lead up to the vote on a, on a sort of a no-strings basis, sort of no-interest loan. So, look, if we don't get the vote, just pay us the money back when the next people come in. Um, so they were around. But when the deal got signed, it was 10 days before the, um, the lockdown came in, um, which is crazy. Wow. Um, so, mm. but... 
you know, a bit like Barnsley, you know, for you guys, I get to interview the people involved in the club and I was building up a relationship with the Coo Higgs and I was doing interviews for them. And I remember it was a throwaway comment, I think, from Pete Kuhig, the chairman, Rob's nephew. He just said, look, we're lucky guys. You know, this was like about six months before the pandemic. Um, and on paper, you think, well, buying a business, you know, before a country goes into, or a world goes into lockdown doesn't sound very lucky to me. But then Wickham got promoted. Um, and I'm not saying that was lucky because they deserved to get promoted. They were they were top of the table for the majority of that season and they got through the playoffs and they beat a strong Fleetwood and they beat a strong Oxford at Wembley. Um, but they got up and they got up into the championship, which has essentially made Wickham a sustainable club and a sustainable business um, for many years to come because the money that you get in the championship, like eight, nine million pounds from TV... Um, they didn't spend any of that, really. They spent a very tiny proportion of that on a couple of players, um, one of which they've since sold for a, a big profit. Um, and they invested it in the infrastructure of the club to get the income flows up. So it's been a wonderful bit of luck for them. Um, I'm sure they'll say it's hard work as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a weird time you know, for anyone to be involved in football, but um, they've embraced it and they've made the best of it. Mm, good, good stuff. But and uh, again, looking backwards, uh, which can't often be said of a manager, um, just looking at Gareth Ainsworth, uh, he's due to celebrate his ninth anniversary of his appointment as manager of Wickham Wanderers next month. Meaning, I was having a look at this, he's only second uh, behind Simon Weaver at Harrogate Town on the list of longest serving managers in the Football League. Um, he's only a month ahead of Sean Dyke, actually, at Burnley, um, interestingly enough. Um, and I was looking at his first full season back in 2013-14, um, where he only finished above the relegation zone to, to drop to the National League on goal difference. Um, you know, so in those those early days of Gareth Ainsworth, did he kind of ride his luck a little bit? Absolutely. And he'd be the first to admit that as well. He was thrown into a club that had no money, no resources. We were paying players £100 a week um, signings. Um, he had no staff. He he lost his um, all his you know fitness and he, he was bare bones basically, um, and he inherited a squad of players that weren't his. He had bad characters in there, um, but also it was his first time year as a manager, so he didn't know what he was doing. He was learning on the job, and he stayed up. He kept the club up on the final day of the season against all of the odds. People still talk about this day now. I was chatting to someone about this the other day. It, the day at Torquay was incredible. They stayed up by the width of a crossbar. They beat Torquay 3-0. All Bristol Rovers had to do was beat Mansfield Town, who were dead. You know, they, they had no interest in the game whatsoever. They turned up without their kit. They got stuck in traffic and everything. They, they beat Bristol Rovers wearing the Bristol Rovers' third kit from the season before, 1-0, which meant Wickham overtook them. In injury time, Bristol Rovers hit the crossbar. They did everything but score. Someone was smiling on Wickham Wanderers that day. And more importantly, someone was smiling at Gareth Ainsworth. And do you know what? He took that opportunity and he spent that summer doing what I don't think many people in football either have the balls to do or even get the chance to do because Wickham couldn't fire him because they didn't have the money. So they had no choice. Unless he quit, they, they were, he was going to be the manager. And he went back and he said, I'm going to change everything I can about what's happened to this season, about me as a manager. And he went and spoke to people in the game and he had no money to do it. He went on Amazon and bought new training ground equipment like nets and goalposts. Him and his assistant manager decorated the training ground. Um, they got rid of all the bad players at the end of their contracts and they bought in um, the players they wanted. They had a much smaller squad. And then 
the next season they finished in uh, well they got to the playoff final and lost to Southend on penalties an amazing amazing turnaround and he always said it was a making of him as a manager but if Wickham had the money to fire him they would have done make no bones about it the fans that cheer his name today were the ones that were calling for his head uh, on the final home game of that season when they lost to Bristol Rovers and went into the bottom two and you know they won't mind admitting that either but what it does show you is that if it's the right person and they need a bit of time, what can be achieved in football? And the stars lined up for Gareth Ainsworth, but he's that sort of guy. You know, he's a very positive man and um, all power to him because, my God, he's taken the most of this opportunity, absolutely. And any Wiccan fan in their wildest dreams, if you'd have said to them they'd been in the Championship, you know, 10 years after that game, let alone a few seasons, they'd have laughed at you. But he's done a remarkable job at Wiccan Wanderers and... There should be a statue of him outside the ground, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, the, I think there's time yet for that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I was looking, and like you said, to to bounce straight back after after that season and and finish fourth, and and then he took four kind of four seasons to get Wickham out of League Two. Um, but when when Wickham were promoted to League One, they finished seventeenth in the first season in in twenty eighteen nineteen, only three uh, points above the drop. Um, and then in in twenty nineteen twenty, as you mentioned earlier on suddenly went on this promotion charge to the championship. I mean, after that season of finished 17th, was, I mean, in terms of expectation, was that completely out of the blue, that? Or were Wickham fans quietly confident in, in that they could have a season like that? No, getting into League One, the first season especially, was just about surviving. It was, you know, we, we still had a League Two slash National League budget at that point. Um, so it was just about surviving, staying out of the relegation zone and, and staying in the division. 17th was a marvellous result, a fantastic result. We celebrated that like, like we got into the playoffs. Um, so the following season, um, at the start of that season, um, the, the trust money had basically run out. We'd, but we'd bottomed out. They couldn't pay the wages. We'd got to the summer months. The staff were, were getting edgy and thinking, are we going to get paid? Is the club going to be here in August? And that's when the Higgs arrived and gave the bridging loan ahead of the vote. And basically restored the playing budget to the one that had kept them up um, the season before at 17th. Um, so the first pre-season game, Wickham had nine players. Um, and the rest of it was on trialists and young people coming in through the door. People like Darius Charles, who'd been told they'd have to retire. Um, and he was playing um, just because he was helping out and he was around the training ground. Um, and then from there, they just went on this amazing run. Um, but it's, it's it goes back to that game at Torquay. Mm. Gareth is a, a guy that he looks at himself first and his team and he thinks, what can we do? What can we apply to what we've learned in the last season and get ourselves going? Um, and he finds a way, you know, and he finds a way of doing it and it's his way. Um, opposition fans hate it um, because they think it's anti-football. They think it's long ball. They think it's time-wasting. But if you've got no money, if you've got no budget and you can find a way to do what you can, then absolutely brilliant. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this now. Wickham have got money in now and a bit of resource. And we're now seeing the other side of Gareth and thinking, right, what can he do with a bit of money? But the bloke's a winner. And that's the, the bare truth of it, because not many people can do what he's done in the past with absolutely nothing. Your former MD was spending more on knitwear and watches than Wickham were on wages yet they were top of the division for a lot of that season. And he deserves the credit for it. He doesn't get the credit he deserves because he's got long hair and he wears cowboy boots. That's the bare truth. But I think the guy's a genius. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, I mean, 
you know, you mentioned it earlier on, during that, that promotion push, the pandemic hit, decisions had to be made by the Football League. I mean, as a, as a Sunderland fan at the time, it felt like it didn't really make a difference to us because we were struggling to keep in touch with the top six anyway. And, and I think uh, I think we'd won one in the, the, the five games before things were, were knocked on the head. So it didn't really matter too much to, to Sunderland at the time, to be honest. But uh, but what was the, the general feeling with, with Wickham fans in terms of how that discussion went about, you know, in terms of what happened next? Because in a lot of places, it seemed like there was a specific conversation about that, the fact it was Wickham. Um, which might not have went the way it did if it was, you know, an Ipswich or or, or for Sun or if it was Sunderland for that matter. I mean, if they were in the same position. Yeah, absolutely. Um, football snobbery is rife, basically. Wickham is still seen as a non-league team by a lot of fans. You know, like I said to you earlier on, I was going in the Eastman League in the late eighties. You know, I'm only forty-two, unbelievably, but you know, that's that's not a long time in in the grand scheme of things when it comes to the history of football. And yeah, there's a lot of football snobbery, but you know. The table doesn't lie. And PPG, you know, not ideal. And I love Gareth Ainsworth's response to it because he was gutted because he said, look, you know, we've got, we've got Fred and Yadima coming back from injury. We're ticking again. We've had a sticky start to the year, but we're finding form. He was gutted because he thought he could get in the top two by his own right. And, you know, they weren't far off. It wasn't inconceivable. Um, but because you've got people like Darren McAntony and, and Ipswich and other clubs who throw money around, as if it's their divine right to be in the top two. Um, they may well have been. I'm not saying they they wouldn't have been, but, you know, the Football League had to do something. The EFL had to do something. And points per game, possibly the fairest way of doing it. I mean, what other way could they have done it? Um, and Wickham, because they were, you know, they, they had that game in hand and it was against Coventry, who we haven't really beaten since time began. And people were going through the history books and throwing all sorts of mud around. Um, but you know, I think you're right. Had it been another team, I don't know. I mean, had it been Peterborough, then I'm sure Wickham fans would have been going absolutely crazy and and whatever. But that's just the tribal nature of football. You know, Wickham had a bit of luck, maybe. Who knows? They still had to get through the playoffs, and they did with with uh, with fairly fairly good style, I thought. But there we are. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I don't think uh, Sunderland fans <clears throat> really care too much because I think we would have crashed and burned uh, regardless. So <laughs> it didn't, didn't really make a difference to us. But uh, but I mean, like you said earlier, there was still a semi final with Fleetwood Town negotiate. Then you had the playoff final against Oxford, which uh, Wickham obviously won. Um, and I'm, I mean, Joe Jacobson's knees must have been kind of knocking together before putting that penalty away. I mean, <laughs> that, that must have been. I mean, for, for yourself being there and everyone else at home. I mean, that must have been a huge moment. A deep breath. Absolutely. It's the biggest moment in the club's history, um, without a shadow of a doubt, because, um, you know, like I said, that, that promotion has basically kept Wickham alive for the, for the next four or five years, you know, um, mm. and it's paved the way to where they are now. Um, but, you know, Joe Jacobson, there's not a single person in the world that any Wickham fan would have wanted to take that penalty other than Joe Jacobson in that mm. circumstance. Um, everyone knew he was going to score. Um, and that was it. And and he's been at Wickham for a long time. It's his eighth year at Wickham now. And, and you know, I'd have, I'd have put my house on him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just in terms of you were there, but the, the fans weren't there. How much did that take away from the moment for the club? You know, that it was their first time going up to the second tier. Um, but, you know, the, there was it was in an empty Wembley and the, the fans missed out on that. Absolutely heartbreaking. Like I said, the biggest day in the club's history... 133 years as it was then uh, and the fans weren't there 
um, heartbreaking. Doesn't really kind of do it justice, to be honest. But it also shone a light on one of the key secrets to why Wickham achieved what they did. Because if you're watching on TV, I've watched it back. I've watched the Sky um, full replay. Um, you know, you could hear people there. You could hear the Wickham bench. You know, there were players who hadn't played for, for months who weren't in the squad. They weren't getting in the first team. But they were there making noise because they were allowed in. You know, they had people, um, you know, the, the directors, the Kuhigs and stuff, they were banging the drums. You know, they were out there. You know, they, it sounded like there were fans there. <laughs> and you look at the Oxford United bench, their subs weren't making any noise. They weren't doing anything. The entire club was pulling together that day. Everyone who could get into that stadium was making as much noise as they possibly could for that team. And in an empty stadium, that actually has quite a big impact because it echoes around. Um, and that was a Gareth Ainsworth strategy. You know, again, it was like, look, we haven't got the fans here, but we've got you lot. We've got the we've got the players who aren't in the squad. We've got the bench and we've got the people we've been out to sneak in on sponsor tickets and director tickets and whatever. And they will make our noise for us. Um, and, you know, I've seen other teams since then have started doing that as well. Um, but, you know, I think... Gareth made a video um, for the team talk before the game and um, it was made up of people um, basically from the club. You know, it was it was um, the, the kids of a, of a guy who died of a heart attack earlier in the season saying how important it was um, for them, for the memory of their dad, how much their dad would have loved to have been there um, to win that game at Wembley. Um, they took on a new cleaner at the training ground when COVID came in and they had to put the new cleaning regulations in. She wasn't a football fan. She'd been around the, the training ground for a month and she'd grown to love the players and the staff like they, they, were, like she, they were her own kids. And her words were the final words that the players heard when they went out onto the pitch at Wembley because she said, look, I don't know nothing about football, but I love you guys and I want you guys to do really well. You know, Do it for me and do it for your fans. And it was things like that. And you think afterwards, you think, well... You know, what are the other teams doing that? Were other people thinking about that? And it's it's again, it comes back to Gareth Ainsworth and that common touch and that thing, where that doesn't cost any money, but it means the world and it and it means the world to the fans and it clearly connected to the players and it built this amazing spirit that has got them into that position. Um, and you know, you can only stand back and admire that and think, Do you know what? Fair play to you guys because. No one in, in the world of football thought you were going to do this and you've done it and this is how you've done it and afterwards when you told everybody it just means that much more. Yeah, sounds like the ultimate uh, team talk that. I mean, not sure you can <laughs> not sure you can say anything much better than than, than that sort of thing. I mean, uh, and, and just on the on the promotion, I mean, looking looking at it from from me being, uh, you know, I was Sunderland past. Um, we've been in a position quite a few times in my lifetime when we've been promoted and don't get us wrong, you always celebrate it. It's a fantastic thing. You're never going to turn it down. Um, but, you know, for Sunderland, there's, there's been times where there's a nagging feeling that you're not ready or you're not in a position to to kind of compete, um, which has been the case on a few occasions when we've gone up to the Premier League. I mean, did did it have that feeling when, when Wickham gained promotion to the Championship or was it just a, you know, this is a, this is a free hit, you know, this is brilliant, let's just go for it regardless? It was an absolute free hit because the the money that we knew that was going to come um, was important before COVID. Um, it was absolutely vital uh, because of the pandemic to keep the club alive. Um, and also everybody knew, you know, I mean, we were playing teams that were spending, you know, I, I remember we played Watford 
we got our first point of the season against Watford on you know uh, in the eighth game of the season we drew one one we should have won um, you know Akin Fenwell an amazing chance there was a goal disallowed which on replay looked harsh and you know and Ismaili Saar costs like I think twenty five million um, you look around the team and the millions are spent um, I remember going down to Bournemouth <laughs> and the, I, I I got um, stuck in traffic on the way down so I sat there and. And I looked at the reported fees of the Bournemouth starting eleven. Uh, it was ninety-seven million pounds. I mean, incredible. I mean, Wickham haven't spent ninety-seven million pounds in the entire history of the club. Um, <laughs> and here, here we are on on in the same division. And everyone, absolutely everybody, said that Wickham would be would wouldn't get into double figures. They'd they'd get their asses handed to them on a plate every single week. And to be honest with you, the first couple of months it looked like they might be right. And again, Gareth Fainsworth did his thing. He said, it's going to take me a couple of months to get my head around this level. Um, but trust us, we'll, get, we'll do it. And um, do you know what? They did. And to get to the last game of the season and still not be mathematically relegated was absolutely incredible. Bearing in mind, they spent approximately, possibly just under £100,000 in transfer fees um, for a championship squad. Um, Absolutely unbelievable, um, but and also a little bit heartbreaking, weirdly, at the end of the season because um, by Christmas we thought, oh, we're, I think a lot of people were like, we're down, but to take it to the last day um, did feel a little heartbreaking. Well, the, the last eight to ten games, you were averaging kind of two points a game, and I think if it, the season had gone on a few weeks longer, you would have stayed up. Yeah, absolutely, and they, they changed tactics and they went to three at the back and then put wing-backs in. And they found a way to do it. And, you know, um, I'm sure Gareth would have thought, oh, if only we could have done that a, a month earlier. And they had a few injuries and stuff, and whatever, and that may have dictated it. But um, but you know what? It gave Wickham fans a bit of a bounce. Um, I mean, pre-season around the club was incredible because you go into, you know, you think, oh, as a team that's just been relegated here, it's going to be a bit of a morbid atmosphere. It was absolutely buzzing. You know, and and the fans were as well. It's just such a weird, weird thing because um, the the body language about as soon as they were they knew they were going to go down, it was like right, we got to go straight back up again. That starts now, you know. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, it's just been, it's such a weird phenomenon because normally relegation, you think, oh god, this is going to be tricky start of the season. If we don't start well, it's going to be terrible. But they were absolutely buzzing um, and the fans were as well and everyone couldn't wait for the first game of the season, not just because it was the first time that fans could come back, it was just because they couldn't wait to start climbing their way back to the Championship, which for a Wiccan fan is still a really weird thing to say, but there we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you mentioned pre-season then. I was having a look at the business uh, that was done during the summer by Wickham. Uh, quite a few free transfers, like uh, Sully Kaikai from Blackpool, um, Oliver Pendlebury from Reading, um, two of the maybe kind of better-known names, Sam Vokes from Stoke City, and and uh, Josh Scowen, um, who, uh, who we released in the summer. Um, so what is the feeling around the place um, in terms of the business that Gareth Ainsworth's Innsworth was managed uh, to get done. Um, Sam Vokes was the big one because we lost Uchi at Piazu, um, having sort of made his name really in the championship because, you know, people knew who he was, but he'd been up to Scotland, which, you know, to be brutally frank, isn't the best level and hadn't really kicked on, um, having shown real promise when he was at Cambridge. Um, but he had half the season out and then he did really, really well. But um, And then to lose him... To, to big money or whatever money it was um, to Middlesbrough was hard. 
Um, but Sam Vokes, um, Wickham fans were absolutely purring when he signed. Um, as were the Stoke fans. They couldn't believe their luck. They hated him. Um, so, um, but he started well, you know, and I think, again, like the, the statistical way that Wickham look at their signings and, and Gareth and Richard Dobson's assistant, they look at the stats and they were saying, look, if you get the ball into the box in the right places, then Sam Vokes has got an incredible scoring record. Um, and so far, I know we we're only a few games into the season, but it looks like they might be right. Um, and he's getting fitter and sharper. And I think he's enjoying being at a place where the fans are pleased to see him rather than than, than what he had at Stoke. Um, and he looks to be thriving. Um, and, you know, goals breed confidence. So he's going to be absolutely raring to go on Saturday at the Stadium of Light. Um, Josh Scoen, um was a no-brainer for Wickham. Um, Gareth Ainsworth, um, in his first game as caretaker manager nearly nine years ago, the first thing he did was recall Josh from his loan spell at Eastbourne Borough in the Conference South, put him back in the team. And, you know, he's gone on to be a championship-level footballer. He's played a lot of games for QPR and, and in the championship. Um, I, I know you guys um, mixed reviews. I know it didn't quite happen for him in, in the North East. Um, at Barnsley, he was absolutely loved. Um, and at Wickham, he's come back into Wickham and he's been so far our man of the match in every single game. He's that good for us. Um, but it's wonderful to see him back because he was a he came through our youth academy when we had one. Um, where we had a, we had a great class. We had Jordan Ibe, we had Josh Goen, Anthony Stewart, Matt Ingram, um, Kadeem Harris, players that have gone on to do really well in the game and you know coming out of. Um, out of our academy and, and Josh was was a linchpin of that at the age of 28 it's great to have him back you know in, in the peak of his career um, and I know what you guys will be fearing because when players come up against their mm-hmm. former clubs they tend to have absolute stormers so um, that may happen on yeah. Saturday that may well happen yeah Sunderland um, have a particularly bad record when it comes to players uh, haven't haven't kind of stormers against us but uh, but Josh Gowan on his day was was absolutely fantastic for us uh, last season and um, he just didn't have those days consistently enough I don't think but uh, but yeah on, he, on his day he was uh, he was cracking and I also noticed um, you lost uh, Fred uh, on your to, to Luton as well is he a big loss? Yeah that was a really big loss because um, Fred was you know a bit like what you said about Josh on his day unplayable um, in League One, those days were more frequent. In the Championship, not so much. Um, Luton tried to get him in January. He was a bit unsettled in the sort of in the months up to Christmas and January. I think his agent was trying to get him that move. Um, and but as soon as the window closed in January, and he knew he was staying, he found some fantastic form. Um, bizarrely, at left wing back when Wickham came into that system, um, and he played superbly there. Um, and it was a real loss. Um, for him to go. I think it was a bit of a kick in the teeth for the club as well because at Millwall he'd been frozen out and he wasn't he wasn't fancied there and he'd had a really good loan spell at Wickham with Gaz um, a few years before so it was the obvious thing for him to come to Wickham um, and you know Gaz really sort of developed him as a player because wonderful going forward fantastic skills and everything else but Gaz really instilled in him the fact that you've got to do some work as well and he really added that defensive side to the game to make him the complete player Luton have got a fantastic player on their hands now if they can manage him right. And yeah, it was hard for him to go because of, of what had been put into him by Wickham. Um, but I think he signed for us like three times already. So you never know, we might get him back yet. 
yeah, he's still only 24, I think, so there's still plenty of time on that front. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the, the start of the season, um, you know, in a, in a minute and, and how they've done so far. But, uh, but I mean, taking the transfers we've just talked about uh, into account, um, before that opening day, what was where was the expectation level? Because, I mean, when you just look at it in terms of the progress, it's been so rapid that, you know, where where are Wickham vans in terms of thinking, where does our club sit now? Where, are we are we always are we a kind of championship stroke league one club or are we still trying to make sure that we're a league one club? Where where does expectation sit, especially before the opening day? Um, it's such a strange concept now because the expectation was top six. Because we finished <laughs> the season in the championship so well, because the squad was so settled, because Gaz was still here. Um, you know, the, the expectation was top six um, for the majority of the fans. Um, even though I think League One is a fantastic division this year. I mean, I think there's probably, you know, upwards of 15 teams that you could say have got a really good shout of getting promoted. Um, but Wickham fans have got this expectation because the Wolf is now nowhere near our door financially. We've got a bit of budget. We've got young players coming through who are exciting. Um, we've got the best manager in the Football League. And, you know... We haven't got to worry about the bills anymore. Um, and yeah, it's weird because I think Wickham and Gaz as well, especially, have, have thrived on this fact that, you know, it's little Wickham. No one really thinks I've got any chance. They've got no money. No one expects anything. And that's that's what's driven them on. This is a different kettle of fish now. And I've, I've asked Gaz about this before, like in, in the last few games, was saying... You've never had this concept before. You've got fans coming here on a Saturday now expecting you to win, expecting you to be in the top six. Mm. And you can go and ring agents up now and they know that you've got money. Um, so it's a whole new skill set for him. Even though he's been at the club for nine years, he's experiencing new things again. But, you know, he's proven that he learns and he does well. So I'm sure he'll do well with this challenge as well. But we expect to be in the top six. That's, that's, the, that's the, the brass tacks of it, really. Well, that's it's definitely on target so far this season. Uh, wins against Accrington, Cheltenham, and Lincoln, and a point away to Wigan. Uh, so that's ten points from twelve so far in the league. Um, has the start been as impressive in terms of the performances as it as it's been on paper? Uh, no, I mean, I think encouragingly, I don't think Wickham have got into top gear yet. Um, they've not played. They didn't play well at Wigan. Um, the late equaliser felt like a winner. Wigan should have beaten Wickham hands down, to be brutally honest. Um, against Lincoln, it was a good tactical performance. Um, but bearing in mind the players at their disposal now, um, I thought they could have, you know, perhaps if everyone was fit and everyone was, you know, in a bit more of a rhythm, they could have won that game more comfortably. Um, there's a couple of players that are injured. Um, so there's a few players who are a little bit out of position. Um, but the performances aren't quite there yet, but the results are. Um, and that's just fuel, fueling the fire of fans thinking we're going to be in the top six, because if you're doing <laughs> that and getting results, we all know that's a really good sign. So, um, yeah, I think traditionally Wickham don't start the quickest. Um, Gaz likes to sign players late on loan. Um, we haven't got a loanee in the squad yet and the window's still open. I'm sure stuff will happen between now and the end of the window. Um, so the team that we've got in this first four games, I don't think will be the team that we see sort of in the run up to Christmas between now and Christmas. So, um, yeah, things are looking good, I think in that respect, but, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll get some more players through before, before the window closes. 
Yeah, there's a, there's about you know a week to go. And I was going to mention that actually because um you know you look at you look across League One and you look at Wickham's transfer business and it's the kind of the 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 thing that strikes you straight away is that there's no loan signings. Pretty much everyone across League One is is looking at the the Premier League academies and you know Sunderland's um gone to Manchester City. We've loaned someone from you know West Ham. Um, and, and Wickham don't seem to have gone down that route. Not yet, but they I think they will do. And um, they've got an amazing record of it. I think I think any Premier League academy coach or or reserve team manager, whatever you want to call it, will take Gareth Ainsworth's call because they develop loanees like no other club can. You know, like you know, Eberi Chiesa came to Wickham on loan from QPR. And the rumour is that, you know, the director of football at QPR didn't even know who Eze was. Um, Marcus Beanie was playing for Wickham at the time, you know, went to see a, an under-23 game and saw this kid playing and thought he had a bit about him. Uh, Wickham took him on loan. Um, about a month in, um, we saw some few sub-appearances and I think it was that time, they call it getting Wickhamised, you know. I think Gaz gets into him and says, look, you know, this is how you got, if you want to play for me, you've got to do the dirty work. And then from there, you can go and do whatever you want to do. And then once the penny dropped with, with Ebbs, he he was phenomenal. And now we've all seen it. I mean, he's had this heartbreaking injury at Palace, but, you know, he was on the brink of the England squad. Um, and all the, all the fans watching him play for Wickham in League Two knew that that was going to happen because um, because of what Gaz had done for him. And he was released by QPR, uh, by Millwall, sorry. QPR picked him up, didn't really know what they had. And it took someone like Gaz and, and Wickham to say, right, here's, here's some first-team football. You know, he's done it with Alfie Mawson. He's done it with with lots of different players. Um, Josh Knight had a fantastic season, you know, last season on loan for Wickham and play, uh, clubs are queuing up to sign him. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, I think Wickham will get some good loanees because I think Premier League clubs will trust Wickham to look after them and develop their players. And they'll know they'll get a better player back at the end of it. But we're developing our own players now as well, which is great because it just makes it a bit more sustainable. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what we can do over the next week. But uh, but again, I mean, you talked about Gareth Ainsworth there. I mean, getting a reputation with loan players. Talked about the start he's had, everything he's done over the last kind of nine years. Uh, is there still a fear that if a good enough offer comes in from a championship club or maybe even higher, that he might just accept one of those offers at at some point? Absolutely. I mean, I can't. I, I'm astounded that no one has <laughs> has gone for him yet. And, you know, I think it's the long hair and the cowboy boots, you know, <laughs> um, and he won't he won't change and he refuses to change. He says, look, this is me. This is part of who I am. Um, you know, he doesn't dress like Pep Guardiola. You know, we've all seen the managers with the knitwear and the and the black trainers with the white sole and the, and the skinny trousers. We've all seen it. We all know what they're doing. They're not being themselves. Gaz is himself. And that's an integral part of why he's a successful manager. Um, and unfortunately, we talked about snobbery earlier. Possibly that's what might be holding him back a little bit. But, you know, he's admitted that as well. He thinks that might be the case. But he's not bothered because he's like, he loves it at Wickham and, and they look after him and he remembers what happened at the start and how they how they stuck by him, although they didn't really have any choice. But um, he remembers that. And when the time comes and the opportunity comes, um, Wickham fans will be, whoever that club is, they will be, the second club of every Wickham fan because they love Gaz that much. Um, and yeah, of course we fear it. We absolutely fear it um, because when he goes now, he'll leave such a legacy. Whoever comes in afterwards is going to have the most difficult job in football because Gaz runs the club from top to bottom. 
Um, so yeah, we fear it massively, but you know, as long as he keeps growing his hair and wearing his weird clothes and looking like he should be in, in a, in a, in, um, what's that band called? Uh, oh, any, any, well, basically any of those rock bands. Uh, he looks like he's in an eighties rock video basically. <laughs> um, so yeah, and if he, as long as he keeps yeah. doing that, then we might be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we talked about, I mean, I've said a few times how long he's been there. I mean, there's only what I think there's one to there's six managers who've been at their clubs for over five years, you know, and the two of those are Jurgen Klopp and, and Pep Guardiola. Um, so, I mean, has Gareth Ainsworth had to evolve over his nine years or has he just simply had to kind of get the best out of what he's got? Because, like you said, the, about the budgets that he's had, sometimes he's just forced to play a certain way or does he have certain traits that you always see in a Wickham side? It's, it's a bit of both, really. He's, he's always had to kind of stretch the resources to the maximum. Um, and the way that he plays uh, is because, you know, and I, I don't think the players would mind me saying this, um, in the past is that he hasn't been able to sign sort of ball players who can really sort of tear people apart and do this um, on a consistent basis because he just couldn't afford it. So the system they found um, um, has worked. And that system is set pieces, getting the ball in the box as quickly as possible. Um, you know, and again, this when it comes back to snobbery. Um, and, you know, everyone can argue about the right or wrong way to play football. Trust me, Wickham fans, when they're winning every week in League One, playing that way, they didn't see anything wrong with it. The people getting beat off it did. Um, but that's that's life, isn't it? That's football. But even this season, I think ahead of the game on Saturday when they beat Lincoln, going into that game, there was a great stat. Um, in League One, eight goals have been scored in the first three fixtures across the division from set pieces. Three of those goals have been scored by Wickham. So even though they're now playing a different system and they've got better players, they're still relying... Uh, or, or leaning on on these set pieces, you know. I watched Lincoln play on Saturday, and the goalkeeper gets the ball in, you know, for a goal kick. The centre backs they split. They're on the corner of the six yard area. The short pass comes, the high press comes, and then the long ball comes from the centre back, and Wickham have got possession back again. Wickham have never, ever, ever taken a goal kick inside their own penalty. They've never passed it inside their own penalty area, ever. <laughs> And, you know, I watch it in the Premier League sometimes. I watch the England team do it sometimes. And it makes me nervous. I'm not understanding. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Wickham have never, ever done it. And, you know, there we are. But they also, they're, they're the they're bottom of the league in terms of teams who've, who've made 10 consecutive passes in. I don't think they've even done that yet. 10 plus passes in a move yet. I don't think they've done that. Um, but here they are in the top two, aren't they? Top two, three in, already in, yeah. in the table. But... You know, stats wonderful. There's only one stat that really matters. We all know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's it. And um, I mean, Saturday's game. Um, I mean, we'll we'll talk about stats. Sutherland ran out four nil winners last time. Uh, Wigan made the trip up to the northeast. I thought I'd get that back. Get in there. Uh, and that was that was January 2020. So it's been a while. Um, both sides sit in the top five. Only a point separating them. Um, so it's set up for an early chance for either side to kind of lay down a marker. Um, haven't watched Wigan this season. Um, what type of game are you expecting them to, to bring up to the stadium alone? Um, well, because the fans are back, it's gonna be it's gonna be a cauldron, isn't it? It's gonna be great. I mean, Stadium Alight is a fantastic place to watch football when the fans are there. Um it's a great arena. The fans, they you know, you guys love your football up there. Um and you know, when you're behind the team, it's almost impossible for the away team. Um I remember Wickham getting a one one draw up there the first time they ever visited. 
Um, the 4 0 was richly deserved by Sunderland that day. Um, and I think also, um, I think the fact they'd lost to Adams Park earlier that season 1 0 and some of the comments after that game certainly fired up the fans and probably fired up some of the team as well. And Wickham were on the, on, the, on, on the end of that one that day and, and fair and square as well. And, you know, it was a deserved win that day. Um, I think Saturday is going to be, you know, Wickham away from home against the odds. They'll dig in. Gareth will enjoy being the underdog. He'll, 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 he'll relish that. And they'll try and make it tight. And the first goal will be absolutely massive because if Wickham get it, if they get it in the first minute, you know, the goal kicks will take about three minutes to take, you know, <laughs> they'll they'll disrupt the rhythm of play. They'll get the fans frustrated, and they'll hope that that frustration seeps onto the pitch. And they're the masters of that. And you know, if that happens, then you guys are going to go absolutely crazy. Um, I can see it. If that's what happens, if you guys get the first goal, and then Wickham have to then come out on the front foot a bit and maybe leave some gaps, then we could be looking at another three four nil for you guys. But that first goal on Saturday is going to be absolutely massive. If Wickham get it. Then, then yeah, you know, there's going to be all sorts of problems. Yeah, I mean, you talked about the the mentality of the players and what Gareth Ainsworth kind of puts into them. Um, I mean, are Wickham in a place that's you know the mentality of the players where they feel they can just take anyone on, whether it's home or away, or or do they have to adjust accordingly? Um, they think they can beat anybody um, at any game. That's always their mentality. They go into you know they played Tottenham in the FA Cup last season. Um, they were going into that game thinking they were going to win it. Um, um, and, he, and it wasn't just sort of, you know, lip service. They generally believe that, um, you know, like the other the other season when the PPG came in, Gareth was saying, we're gutted. We thought we were going to get promoted. We had a real chance of getting <laughs> up automatically. That's how they think, um, you know, and and, 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 it, and it's true. That's what they, they believe from the, from the kit man up. Um, and they'll go into to Saturday knowing that they can get the three points um, and they'll attack the game, you know, until they until they can't attack it anymore, until it's it's beyond their reach. But that's what their belief will be going into it. And you know, as fans, obviously, we don't think like that because fans we're cynical and, and negative. But um, <laughs> certainly, the playing staff and everyone involved with the club professionally will be saying, "Yeah, we're going into this game for the three points." Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you've spoken to quite a few Sunderland fans talking about that kind of <laughs> having that outlook but uh, but uh, I mean you mentioned Sam Vaux being in form he's got a couple of goals already this season um, is he kind of the danger man for Sunderland on Saturday? Yeah absolutely and, and the way to stop Sam Vokes will quite simply to stop the service to him out wide and you know Joe Jacobson although he's playing centre-back largely at the moment he's taken all of our set pieces he's still getting forwards in a, in a Chris Wilder you know rampaging centre-back style um, and you know if the ball's into the box are there then you know, statistically, that's why Wickham signed him. He'll get, he'll look to get on the end of one, and and probably will. Um, so I'm sure that that, that Sunderland are working hard already to try and stop the ball coming into him. Um, but yeah, um, you know, he's 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 starting to purr now, and he's looking confident. You know, he he needed an arm round him after Stoke, and that's what Wickham have given him, and it looks to be to be working for him and the club. Yeah, and I mean. You mentioned uh, Wickham and aren't going to play it out from the back. <laughs> That's one thing they're definitely not going to do. But uh, if if you're in Lee Johnson's shoes, um, what's kind of the the best way to to get at this Wickham side? Press them high. Um, you know they've they've got to roll their sleeves up. You know Sunderland will want to play to get they want to get the ball down and play. But before they can do that, they've got to earn the right to do it, which means that they've got to go toe to toe for a physical battle. Um, once they can match them there. 
if you do that, then yeah, then then get the ball down and play, and that's how to beat Wickham. You can't turn up and just think, right, yeah, we're just going to stroke the ball around and have it our own way, um, because that doesn't tend to happen against Wickham. You've got to get stuck in, and you can't get sucked into the frustration game, because if you do that, then you're chasing your tail. Um, but Lee Johnson will know that. You know, he knows Gaswell. He'll know how Wickham have done, and <laughs> and and I'll expect him to be working hard on that. And he's got Luke 9 you know, to tell him because Luke is Luke was one of Gareth's disciples. Luke Luke did everything that Gareth asked of him to the letter. Um and he knows he knows how that dressing room works and he knows how Wickham works. So you've got a spy in the camp. As much as we love him, you've got a spy in the camp. <laughs> yeah, well he's uh he's he's gonna be struggling. I think he did his shoulder again last last week. Um so I'm not I'm not sure whether he's gonna make the game. Pro pretty doubtful I think, but uh, but we'll We'll see. I'm sure he'll give it to the last minute, you know, non non Luke or nine. Um and um but uh, but yeah, I mean I, I assume that you're travelling up for the game. Uh sadly not. Um family circumstances unfortunately at the moment. Um I mean I, I won't be there on Saturday, but um I'll be following and I'll be kicking and heading every ball with them, you know. And, and because I'm not commentating, I can be a proper fan. So I'll be shouting and swearing <laughs> at the TV screen. Uh, or, or actually, I'm in the UK. I'll just be listening. I won't be on I follow, honest. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I'll not I'll not ask you for a prediction on the game, but I'll ask you to, to answer this one with your head, maybe, rather than the heart. Um, do you think Wickham will bounce straight back up? Yeah, head and heart say yes. Um um, oh, right. because um, yeah unless unless we're doing so well that someone comes in and takes Gaz away from us um, I think we'll do really I think we'll be up there um, I really do um, normally my, I normally allow my head to answer this and say yeah you know mid-table whatever but but yeah there's such a buzz and such a great atmosphere around Wickham I think I think they're going to be top six and even if it's the playoffs and it's not automatic promotion you know I wouldn't bet against them in that situation Interesting, good stuff. Well, I'll I'll look out for for that at the end of the season. Well, um, let's hope Saturday's game is as good as the billing with uh, both sides in good form. Um, but on that note, I just want to say thank you very much, Phil. Uh, really enjoyed the chance to catch up, and uh, all the best for the season ahead. Great stuff. Always a pleasure. I love you guys up there, Roker Report, and you fans and everything. It's a great club, and you know, in all seriousness, if Wickham would go up, I mean, I hope you guys come up too because you know you're a massive club and you should be in the championship really. Um, and fingers crossed you get there yeah you never know one of these days soon you know I'd hope it's this year but uh, but yeah we'll, I think everyone's being cautiously optimistic up here but we'll, but we'll see but uh, thanks again Phil really appreciate it my pleasure uh, and thanks again for everyone listening uh, keep a look out at Rocker Report for all the build up ahead of the game against Wickham at the weekend uh, and keep an eye out on all the usual places for the next podcast or podcast that should be dropping soon but from us it's bye for now Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.